0: to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It was not my plan for this to be the last verse of uh, this book on the last day of the year, but it was the Lord's plan. And uh, we will be uh, beginning a new series, Lord willing, next week, which I am excited about. Uh, but the book of First Thessalonians has been a great encouragement to uh, my heart, and I trust it has been uh, to yours as well. And uh, one of the things that we have noted is it does not take um, three years to go through a book with me. So stay tuned. We'll see uh, what happens uh, as we go through the next uh, portion of Scripture. But today... Uh, we're going to look at the last verse of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, hear now the word of the living God. Verse 28. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thus ends the reading of God's very word. Let's pray. Father, we beg that you would come by your spirit now and take this very short Powerful verse, and you would write it upon our hearts to build us up in you, Lord Jesus, the only Savior of sinners. And Lord, if there be any listening this day who are apart from you, oh Lord, speak your life giving word and draw them unto yourself to repent and believe in you. We make our prayer with thanksgiving that you are the God who made the universe. You are the God who is the lawgiver, the judge, the king of all the earth, and the one who has given your Son to rescue us. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, this last verse is a benediction. The term benediction just simply means blessing, and this book ends with this powerful blessing. I want you to picture in your mind's eye a fire hydrant. Fire hydrants are interesting little instruments. Uh, They cap a tremendous amount of water under pressure. And in a very real sense, this little verse is like an incredible fire hydrant. That if we were to open it up, it would just continue to shower us, inundate us with blessing. We are just going to crack the spigot just a little bit this morning. But hopefully enough that you can have a feel uh, for the wealth in this last little verse of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This book began with the message of grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the content of this book has to do with Jesus coming by His Spirit and bringing the gospel to the hearts and lives of His little lambs. This verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, is God's blessing that I need and you need. Oh, how we need God's grace. Grace is a term that just simply means gift. God has showered upon us the gift of life in His Son. God gives that gift not to everyone, but to His sheep that He gave to His Son before the foundation of the world, we read And now that He has purchased on the cross and now is applying that redemption too. And our job is to proclaim this gospel, calling all men everywhere to repent and believe in Jesus. Salvation is found only in Jesus Christ. And oh, how each of us need God's grace. For I and you, we are broken in sin. We are fallen in Adam, our father. The whole human race descends from the first man, Adam, as we read in the book of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3. And four and five. All of us have descended from Adam. And Romans chapter 5 particularly reminds us that there are two Adams that stand in history. The first Adam, the man that God made from the dust of the earth and formed there in uh, the Garden of Eden, placing him to keep it rebelled, and through Adam's sin, we all fell in him. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, as we read in Ephesians 2. And as we read in Galatians 5, the picture of being in the flesh is not a pretty one. All manner of ick and wickedness, Is what I am and you are apart from the grace of God. But praise God, God has not left His sheep to death and destruction and hell. But in the fullness of time He gave His Son to be our righteousness. And so what do we need to learn about the grace of God. The first thing is the work of God's grace in Christ Jesus. There is a glorious exchange that takes place when we experience God's grace in Christ. And this exchange focuses on the work of Jesus if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to look at a passage that I must confess I had great joy years ago shocking a Bible study group by announcing that today we're going to learn about how God is calling us to be liberal. Christians. And the people who had been attending this Bible study were just kind of shaken to hear me say we ought to become liberal Christians. Well, before you get too excited, uh, let's look at this passage of Scripture. And the reason why we want to be liberal in the sense of generous is because the God of the Bible is incredibly generous with his gift, with grace. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, look at verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. The context is the Apostle Paul had instructed the church at Corinth to gather a gift for the ministry to the people who were Christians down in Jerusalem who had suffered such horrible persecution because they bore the name of Jesus. And his whole argument in this section is, I want to remind you to go ahead and take up this offering of these gifts so that when I come, I don't have to address this. And here's the motivation. Why would we want to give to people we have never even seen or met? It is simply because God has been generous to give to us. And so in verse 9 we see, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And so here we have a passage now that takes us in a very sense to the very heart of what grace is all about. That even though Jesus was rich, he Enjoyed fellowship with the Father for all eternity. But because of the grace of God, because God gave the gift of His Son, the Son of God, who was rich, became poor, became utter abject poverty. He became one of us. And yet he was and is without sin. Even though he took on human flesh to become our substitute, he has done so in a way that he was not corrupted by sin. Sin could not touch him. And he perfectly obeyed all of the Father's commands. As a little boy, he grew up perfectly obeying his mama and daddy. We sang about that in the hymn. That he is the glorious example for children and young people. That he continued in subjection to his mother, Mary, and his earthly adopted father, Joseph. As he grew up, he never disobeyed. He never backtalked them. He never lied to them. He never had outbursts of of anger uh, at them or his brothers or sisters. What an amazing Savior we have. He humbled himself. He was born in a stable, a picture that he had come to serve. He didn't come to be served. He had shepherds come uh, uh, to worship him. He could have had the kings of the earth. Um, He became poverty. And of course, uh, the culmination of His expression of becoming poor was that He took our sin upon Himself on the cross. He drank the cup of wrath, the hell that you and I deserve so that we might drink from a different cup, the cup of blessing. And so this verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. On over in this passage of Scripture, we see again the, the heart of this message of God giving us this amazing grace in Christ and how it was the argument upon which he said to these Christians, look, I I want you to just give a little taste of the mercy God has showered upon you an expression of his grace to uh, uh, these Christians. Uh, uh, Look at verse 6. Of uh, 2 Corinthians 9. And the point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And then if you'll look down uh, in <coughs> verse 13, by their approval of this service, talking about this gift they're collecting, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity Of your contribution and the word generosity there in some of your translations says liberality. And so here's where I got my little play on words that God wants us to be liberal Christians. You know, it tears me up that the progressives and the Christ haters have stolen that term because Christians ought to be known as generous people as people who just show the kindness and mercy and love of God. Why? Because we're overwhelmed with the kindness and mercy and love of God that He has showered upon us. That's God's grace. And so we come now in verse 14, "...while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace upon you." Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is a gift that is so incredible that we can't get over it. It overwhelms us and it changes how we view everything. Turn back a couple of chapters to chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. And here we see again a passage that talks about this amazing exchange of Jesus taking our sin. He becomes poor and he gives us his riches that he purchased on the cross and his perfect life of obedience. That is ours by grace alone through faith alone in Christ Jesus alone. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. And so what does this indescribable gift, this grace, do? Well, it captures us. It is the thing that motivates our lives. It is what makes the Christian tick. What is it that animates you in your everyday lives? Why do you get up in the morning? Why do you say and do what you do throughout the day? It ought to be the love of Jesus controlling us. And so he goes on. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. His saving work of redemption that is pressed upon our hearts and lives. And we begin to experience that the second we believe in Jesus God Almighty justifies us. This incredible exchange takes place where Jesus takes our sin and gives us His perfect payment of sin that He accomplished on the cross and His perfect life of obedience that He lived. It is credited to us by faith. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Not only do we view God differently, we view everything, everybody else around us differently. After the grace of God grabs hold of us, nothing is the same. Nothing can be the same because now we belong to Jesus. Now... We are His, and He is ours forever and ever. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard Him thus no longer. And who was writing, who was the instrument, human instrument, that God used to write this? The Apostle Paul. And who was the Apostle Paul? Paul before he experienced the grace of God, a fierce enemy of God who hated the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And it was his life's purpose to go from town to town to stamp out the name of Jesus and to arrest and persecute and prosecute And participate even in the execution of Christians. And the Apostle Paul says, Oh, I used to regard Christ and everybody else with the eyes of flesh. But now the grace of God has changed all of that. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I no longer view Jesus the way I used to. I no longer view any other person the way I used to. From now on, we regard him thus no longer. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone, wasn't just the Apostle Paul, but this is true for every child of God. If you know the grace of God, this is our testimony. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What happens when we experience the grace of God? We are reconciled with the living God. The holy, holy, holy God we are no longer fighting against, but now we love God. And we love our fellow man made in the image of God. And yes, as we're going to see here in just a moment, this side of heaven, we still struggle with remaining sin. Yes, sadly, I forget who I am and who he is from time to time for a moment. But praise God, he doesn't leave us there, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ not only gets us saved, but He is keeping us. Let's keep reading. Verse 19, That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so that begins with God justifying us. And it is a legal act that God Almighty does the second we believe in Jesus where our sin is placed on Christ and His righteousness is credited to our account. So that when the Father looks at us, He no longer sees our sin, but we are covered with the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. God's mighty work of grace making us his children. We experience justification. One more passage, this time in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 23. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 23. And here is a passage we don't have time to look at this whole uh, passage. Uh, chapter. I would encourage you to read it maybe this afternoon, but we're going to look at the context. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. There were false preachers in Jeremiah's day, and the Lord says, woe, my wrath is coming upon these false shepherds. And God announces in that context that in the fullness of time, He would send the Good Shepherd. And you can read in John chapter 10, Jesus identifies himself as the Good Shepherd. I am the Good Shepherd, Jesus said there in John chapter 10. And so look at verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And here's one of the Messianic themes in the Old Testament, that in the fullness of time, a shoot, a little branch, would grow from David's stump, from that tree uh, of God's people. And so that's Jesus of Nazareth. He descended, according to the flesh, from David. And what's he going to do? Look, he shall reign as king... And deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. And I want you to notice the name that Messiah is called. And it's who we call Jesus, the Lord is our righteousness. And so that's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we are trusting in Jesus to make us right with the living God. His sacrifice on the cross, He paid for our sins, for our breaking all of the Ten Commandments. We are fallen in Adam, And I've broken every one of God's holy commandments in thought, word, and deed. And how can somebody like me possibly ever be right with the living God? Praise God. God in the fullness of time gave us a gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, not only is this work of justification a mighty aspect of the grace of God, but we also see in Scripture that Jesus is growing us to be more like Him. Not only does God justify us, but He adopts us into His family. And as his children who bear his name, Jesus would make us like his image. Jesus, the grace of God, is causing us to be changed, actually transformed. Not only are we covered with the righteousness of Jesus, But underneath that covering, God Almighty is actually changing us. Let's look at a couple of passages. First of all, uh, turn with me in the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And so, in verse 12... God is at work in us. He not only gets us saved, but He's growing us more and more to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's the very language of Scripture. Look in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be what? conformed to the image of His Son. It is the express purpose of God Almighty that the grace of God not just justify us, but also be transforming us more and more until He comes again and will complete that task. And that is called glorification but between now and that day jesus is at work it's like you can picture in your mind a master sculptor now you know what sculptors do they take a big old block of marble or granite and they take a chisel and a hammer and you know what a sculptor does a sculptor removes all of the parts of the stone that don't belong, and reveals an incredibly beautiful statue. And that's what God is doing with us, with blockheads like me. He's taking his mighty chisel, we're going to talk about that in just a minute, and hammer. And the Holy Spirit is chipping away the remnants of the old man. And when God is finished with this work, he is going to present and hold up to the universe us as statues that reflect his glory for the praise of his name. Turn with me to the book of First John. The book of First John. Be familiar verse <clears throat> in verses five and following, for this is the message we've heard from him to proclaim to you that God is light. and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have darkness, uh, if we say we have fellowship while with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. but if we walk in the light as he is in the light. And I want you to notice in verse 9, not only does God forgive us, but he's doing what? Cleansing us. He not only forgives us, but he's washing us up. He is forming Christ in us. He is transforming us more and more. Look at chapter 3 of 1 John. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us grace that we should be called children of God, and thus we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, we're God's children if you belong to Jesus, but God's not finished with us yet. The statue is still being chipped on. There's still some things that need to be corrected uh, so that we more clearly reflect the image of our glorious God. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so if somebody says they're a Christian, I've been justified, but they have no desire to grow in Jesus. They have no yearning to be close to the Savior who bled and died for us. That person is living a lie. That person is self-deluded. And yes, it is true that this side of heaven, none of us love him like we ought to or even want to. But a child of God who really belongs to Jesus, we do yearn to be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus. When all is said and done, we hate our sin, we want to turn from it, and we want to be close to Jesus. The Jesus who laid down his life for us. The Jesus that loves us and the Jesus that we love. Let's look at one more aspect of this amazing work of God growing us. And we're going to look at two passages. And I want you to look for a a little term that is in the ESV translated equip. But I want you to understand a little bit about this word equip before we look. And it's the word that we find over in the Gospels when Jesus called his disciples. Uh, for example, turn with me uh, in Matthew chapter 4. This little word equip is translated in Matthew chapter 4, mend, M-E-N-D. And it's the picture of Jesus walking by the sea and there were some fishermen and they were mending their fishing nets. Now why do fishermen use nets? Well, you can catch a whole lot more fish with a net than you can just, you know, a hook and a line. And so the disciples, when they would fish, they had these huge nets that they would cast out of the boat And they would have weights on these nets, and the weights would take the nets down, and then they would draw the net back up into the boat, and as they drew the net up, it would catch the fish in the net. But if you had a hole in the net, guess what would happen? As you were hauling the net in, all the fish would go, It's a good day. Because here's this big hole in the net and the fish would just swim out the hole in the net. And when you haul the net back up on the boat, what would you have? Nothing. And so the fishermen, they would make sure that their nets were mended. And this word men has the picture of restoring to usefulness. That's the force of this Greek term. Restoring to its original condition so that it's useful. I want you to see it in Matthew chapter 4. And uh, we'll start reading in verse um, 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother. In the boat was Zebedee their father, and here's your word now, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed them. Okay. So what are we going to learn about mending nets? Well, let's go over to Hebrews chapter 13, and we're going to see the grace of God. God uses this same term to describe what Jesus does to us, that we're like broken nets. I'm useless. I cannot do anything good left to myself to please God And I have proven over and over that left to myself, I am of worthless use to the people around me. All I can do left to myself is make a mess and hurt people. That's how we are this side of of the fall. Left to ourselves, we're full of hate and, and wickedness and all manner of horrible things. But praise God for His grace. Praise God that Jesus came not only to forgive us, but to transform us and to mend us. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, and here's your word, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so young person, child, do you want to be a blessing to your mama and daddy? You need mending. You need Jesus to forgive you and to give you a heart that loves Him and loves to follow Him. And if you look to Jesus in faith by the grace of God, Jesus will equip you. He will mend you and start growing you up more and more to be a delight and a blessing in the sight of God and a tool in His hand to be a blessing to your mama and daddy, to your grandparents, to the people in this congregation, to the people in this community. That's what Jesus does. Old gray haired men like me, God has the power to mend us and put us back together. He can change us. You can teach an old dog new tricks. It may be harder to learn, But Jesus is up to the task. He is mending his people. That is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. One more passage, 1 Peter chapter 5. And this passage I want you to see is in the context of even in the face of turmoil and persecution and trials. God is able to not only justify us and sanctify us but mend us and use us for his glory first peter chapter five verse one so i exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed Be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of what? The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He will mend you. Praise God that the God of grace has the power to mend us. Um, Don't you feel yucky on the inside when you sin? Isn't it discouraging when the very thing you want to say and do, which is to be a blessing to your husband or your wife or your parents or your children or a brother or a sister or a friend, we find ourselves just falling short over and over and over. Oh, how we thank God for a Savior. His name is Jesus. And we give ourselves to Him this day, rejoicing that He is able to restore, confirm, establish, and strengthen us. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. One final thing before we turn the little spigot off. Uh, this fire hydrant, if we would open it up, it could flow uh, from now on. Uh, because no one can exhaust the grace of God. The whole Bible is the revelation of God's amazing grace. But I would remind you of the chief tool that God uses to give us grace, cause us to grow in grace, and thrive in grace. If you'll turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Here the apostle Paul has summoned the elders, the under shepherds from the church there in the region of Ephesus to come and meet him. And he has reminded them how he has preached the gospel of God's grace. And Let's just start reading in verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink, from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public, and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to just take note as you read through, particularly the New Testament, but it's all over in the Old Testament. The message of salvation is never just faith. It is always repentance and faith. If you have true faith, you will always find repentance accompanying it. And if you have true repentance, you will always find turning to Jesus and embracing Him. And sadly, in our day and time, so much of the evangelical church has forgotten And has perverted the gospel of Holy Scripture. And no longer is calling God's people to repent. To be broken over our sin. Hating it and turning from it. And turning to Jesus. Because only this is salvation. Repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Of God, The gospel itself is called the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. "...pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, or bishops, to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I want you to notice verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. What is it that is the chief tool that we would take and use if if you want to experience god's grace and grow in god's grace it is the word of grace it is the holy scriptures it is the bible i commend you to god and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified and so as we close this day May this benediction be written upon our hearts. May we be those who look in faith to Jesus for our salvation, to be justified, to be adopted, to be continued uh, sanctified as he chips away, taking his word, uh, uh, transforming us from one glory into another more and more by the word of his mouth. As we think about the Word of God, (coughs) it is central not only in our worship, but as we begin this reading through the Bible together in two years, I would remind you that this Word of God's grace, God has incredible blessings for you and me by His grace in Christ Jesus for us as individuals. This is the powerful tool of grace wielded by the King of glory to lead and guide and bless us in His way. The fruit of the Spirit, the commandments of our God, they are our delight. His paths are what we want to learn. Not only is this for us as individuals, but families. We delight as Psalm 78 declares that we pass and tell the coming generation and the generation after that the glories of the Lord and His wonderful works that He has done. And as we read in Psalm 145 and following, those psalms remind us that it is day by day that we are declaring these things. As a church family, we are excited to grow in all of these one another in commands as we will be reading the same passages of Scripture together. And may indeed He come and walk with even greater power in our midst over these next two years. Every aspect of life being brought under the banner of King Jesus and His revealed will. And then, of course, it applies also to civil government. Jesus is the prince of the kings of the earth. He has a name written on his thigh. King of kings and Lord of lords. And his word is what the kings of the earth ought to bow before. Grace, the gospel of our God we glory in the God of grace and I pray for myself and each of you may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you amen father thank you for your word thank you that we can sing praise to you now prepare our hearts to come to your table this day How we thank you for your amazing grace. Amen.